Good evening, brothers and sisters. I have prepared for you today a brief word of exhortation. And that probably gives it away. Please turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. The book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask at this moment that by the power of your spirit, you would strengthen me to preach your word correctly. That not a single word about you said by me would be incorrect, only right words. Father, I pray at this moment that you would open up all our hearts to receive the word, to receive the message you have helped prepare, Lord. Lord, that you would have us grow from what we hear tonight and stand in awe at the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, the topic tonight is a difficult one. And so, Lord, I will need you, your help and your strength and your power tonight. Father, I pray that the weighty subject that is discussed would open up us to draw near to you and access the throne of grace in, in a manner more boldly and with greater confidence. Lord, I pray that your son would be magnified by the words you've given us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our text tonight is Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 to 28. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of the weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through one which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who were formerly priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Brothers and sisters, the author of the Hebrews wrote his epistle uh, to Jewish Christians at the time that were struggling and suffering from societal persecution. Uh, they had not yet suffered to the point of shedding their own blood. They had not been martyred, but their property had been confiscated. And the author lets us know that they responded to that admirably. They were joyful to suffer for the cause of the Lord. But unfortunately, as time had gone by, some in the Christian community there had begun to apostatize to return back to Old Covenant Judaism. And it's against this looming threat of apostasy that the author is going to bring out and draw out a doctrine which many scholars consider to be the most underrated doctrine in the entire Bible. In fact, I challenge you to just go to your favorite Christian bookstore, website, whatever, and type in intercession and see what kind of results you get. You'd be lucky to get two titles. Type in anything else, sanctification, trinity, whatever you want, justification, you'd get hundreds of hits. Right? Intercession is very few when it comes to books. 
Our outline tonight is going to be very simple. Two points and just two. One, Jesus, his presence as our high priest. And two, Jesus, his power as our high priest. Now, I know from the start of it that discussing priesthood uh, may not seem to be the most interesting topic because of the world we grow up today. In the ancient world, it was a guarantee. Priests and sacrifices were life, it was what life was all about. Um, today, unfortunately, though, we don't grow up in that kind of society. So it might seem a bit dated or a bit you know, antiquated. But it's really important to draw out the comparisons between the Levitical priests, the old order, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason being is that there were many shortcomings with the Levitical priests, but there was one special quality they possessed that God himself did not. And I know how that sounds. I know the way that sounds, but it is true. There was something they possessed that God did not. Just to go over really quickly the ineffective uh, ministry of Levitical priests, well, there's many. For one, they offered up the blood of sacrificed animals. Um, animals cannot take our place. They were not made in the image and likeness of God, but we were. There's no exchange of righteousness between us and an animal. Two, the priests were only priests because they happened to be born into the tribe of Levi. They had to meet some physical requirements, but they were just priests by birth. None of them had ever received a special, with the exception of Aaron, none of them had ever received a special commission from God, specifically making them a priest, a certain man a priest. Um, but God, by an oath, did make Christ a priest. The Levitical priests were sinners themselves. They were human. Uh, they were corruptible. And all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, many of the prophets and kings complained about the corrupt priesthood, probably most vicious, uh, brutally, in Ezekiel 34, where the priests are considered thieves, robbers, murderers. They're, 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 they're considered harsh, like, like Egyptian slavers they're compared to. So the priests weren't exactly always holy men. In fact, quite often they weren't. The priests were mortal. They died. They were, they were just regular people. And a dead priest can't serve anyone. But they were also human. They were people. And that's something very special to us tonight. Turn just a couple pages to Hebrews 5.2. Hebrews 5.2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself beset by weak with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does those for the people. He can deal gently. This is best understood to describe someone who is sympathetic. The word sim sympathetic, sympathos, means with feelings. Someone who can express sorrow and pity for you, they understand how you feel. A sympathetic person doesn't break a bruised reed. They protect a person's feelings. They want to give someone a reason to have hope. They don't look to destroy hope. And in order to be sympathetic, here, we're going to see that someone has to face temptation. Someone has to face temptation because when you confess your sins to a Levitical priest, he was able to understand you. You know, a Levitical priest can tell you, hey, look, brother, I've, I've been there. I know what it's like to get tempted and sin. I know what it's like to be tempted and, and fail. I know what shame feels like. I know what grief over sin feels like. 
because he too was a sinner, a person. And God cannot be tempted. James 1.13, God tempts no one. He himself is not tempted, ever. So unfortunately, as even though the human priests and Levitical priests had many shortcomings, they were sinners and died and everything else, they did possess the ability to be sympathetic. And this is critical because the job of a priest is to do what? Represent God to the people and represent people to God. A priest is supposed to mediate between God and people. A priest helps maintain your holiness, and here in Israel, though, the holiness of a nation. A priest facilitates worship of God because he's the medium. And you turn back, turn back, please, to our, our main passage in Hebrews 7, and we already started off with verse 18. A former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. So the Levitical priesthood is out. And in comes a new, better hope. And this glorious aspect of the incarnation reminds us that Christ, I mean, Christ was always glorious. Glory from, glorious from all eternity past. God, Christ didn't need more glory. He didn't have to lower himself to become uh, our, our intercessor, our, our savior. He does so in accordance with the Father's plan. But as tough as it may be to say, had Christ could never become human, had he never suffered temptation, he was not qualified for the job of high priest. Not yet. If you just turn a few pages, we're always in Hebrews, so don't worry, you won't turn much. Um, turn to Hebrews 2, 17, 2, 17, 18. We'll see the author uses, the author is trying to build the case for why Jesus is better and essentially all you need. Hebrews 2.17 Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted. Scripture points out that Christ became like one of us in every respect, not just in flesh, bone, and body, all those for sure, but he also became like one of us in that he suffered temptation. He understood what it was like to be confronted with the possibility, with the desire, with the opportunity, with the scheme of the devil, more on that later, to disobey God. To disobey God. Just turn one more page, and I want you to see this because if the author is hammering this, home, this point home, it's really important for us. Hebrews 4, 14, 16, almost the same verse, some differences. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace, in time, in, uh, find grace to help in time of need. So again here, the author is bringing out that Christ can sympathize with us 
with our weaknesses because he has been tempted, but it's a very important point to make, yet without sin. Christ remained perfect throughout every trial, throughout every scheme of the devil. He remained perfect, which is why he could offer himself up for us as, uh, as our propitiation for our sins. Now, the author hammers this home point, the author of the Hebrews, who um, it remains anonymous, to bring, to bring home the comparisons between Christ and the Levitical priest. Our Lord was tempted, but never sinned. Perfect record. It's a, that perfect record is a reflection, not only of his obedience to God, but of his wisdom, of his knowledge, of his life. We can trust Jesus in making intercession for us. We can trust that Jesus will always get it right because he was obedient to God. He is perfect in every respect unlike the Levitical priest. Our Lord offered, him, uh, offered up himself, his blood on the cross, so that his blood can pardon us for our sins. He can stand in our place because he was a man in every respect. In every respect. So we inherit his righteousness, he takes up on our sin. He takes our sin. Our Lord didn't have to become a high priest, didn't become a high priest because he was born into a specific tribe. In fact, he's born, he's just a descendant of the tribe of Judah, specifically to knock out that Levitical priesthood. Had he been born into Levi, well, one could claim when he became a priest by birth. He's, he's descended from Judah to make it clear that he's not part of the last priesthood. He's made a priest by oath. The author quotes Psalm 110, the Lord Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. There's a, an apologetic aspect to this if you ever want to use it in evangelism if the time comes, but um, given that Christ is our priest forever, there is no later reiteration of anything that God's going to do. Uh, there is no Prophet Muhammad, there is no Joseph Smith, there's no Ellen G. White, there's no valid basis for Islam, Seventh-day Adventist, Mormon, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, whatever. God made one man, Jesus Christ, a priest forever. And he's like us in every respect. He can sympathize with us on a personal level. He feels what we feel. He knows what, what it feels like to feel grief. He can help us to the utmost, to the uttermost. Why? Because he himself knows what it's like to be tempted. And, to make the point obvious, but Christ cannot die. Christ lives on forever. He stands before the throne of God forever. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Now you can see how Christ is magnified by the author. Not only did he take human form, but he wanted the human experience in full to a level that wasn't possible before. Now let me be clear, because I don't want to misspeak about God the Father. The prophet Isaiah compares God the Father to a mother nursing her beloved infant. Right? His description that's used most commonly from Exodus 34, 6 is, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with love and faithfulness. Right? The Father is not an angry God with no compassion and no love for us. The Father is someone who does deal with us gently, 
who loves us and is compassion and feels compassion for us, but he cannot feel like us. If the doctrine of the intercession is underrated, the doctrine of impassibility is nearly forgotten. Um, in a long-held doctrine of the church that Christ, in the mystery of the hypostatic union, in his human nature can feel just like we can, and in his godly nature shares the same immovable aspects and attributes of God the Father. So God the Father is a compassionate God. Except this was a different realm. Now, when it comes to Christ standing in our place, this makes the case for his presence. His priesthood is appointed. He fulfilled his record perfectly. His priesthood is bestowed upon him by God the Father. He gets to stand in the heavenly, in the heavenly tabernacle. He gets to stand before the throne of grace. But there's a, the second point for us tonight, this evening, is in this brief time, is what's really important to me. That's all point number one, Jesus, his presence is our high priest. Now we're going into Jesus, his power as high priest. Now, brothers and sisters, I hope every day that you wake up, you savor the gospel. You remember what the Lord did for you on the cross. You, realize, you remember that God is perfectly holy, that you were undeserving, a sinner, and that by Christ's work on the cross, he saved your soul. And the atonement has often been referred to as the accomplishment that the intercession applies. The atonement, the gospel, the accomplishment of Christ, but the intercession is the application of that to us in our lives. When you think about it, Christ spent three years on earth laboring, ministering to people, small little section of the world in Palestine, to just one people, Israel. But for the last 2,000 years, Christ has been ministering to saints all over the world. Millions, all at once by his omnipresence. Christ has been laboring nonstop for, two, for nearly two millennia. And this should give us great cause for, for celebration, but I want to, before we get there, I want to actually flesh this out a little bit better. Verse 25 of our passage, 725. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's able to save to the uttermost. Not a word often seen. In fact, in the entire New Testament, it only kind of shows up in one form, one other place, and in a completely different context. This is a unique term here. To the uttermost. And don't let the author's language slip away unexamined. Notice, notice what he writes. Since he always lives to make intercession for us. You've heard people before say, I live for X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. Um, Christ lives to make intercession for us. Christ lives to hear our prayers and carry them to the Father, polishing them up along the way. Right? Christ lives to take care of us, to tend his sheep for, the, for our entire walk. He knows what you need, and he asks the Father for it. And when he does so, he asks based on the atonement that he did on the cross. Christ can say to his Father, give blessing here, give mercy here, 
Because Christ stands in our place and the Father always hears Christ and Christ is deserving of all those things. So the intercession has been something that you have participated every time you prayed. Every time. It's a demonstration of how tender and kind Christ is and here we're going to see why it's to the uttermost. See, intercession is a legal term. Basically means to mediate between two parties uh, with a positive connotation, so for, for a favorable outcome. And in the case of Christ, it's him praying on our behalf for mercy, protection, and blessing, and especially while the devil accuses us and schemes against us. In fact, the Greek term, uttermost, pantales, right, basically means completely, perfect, whole, leaving nothing out, boundless, if you will. It means that Christ takes care and cares about every little detail in our life. And I mean every little detail to the insignificant. And this brings him joy to save us to the uttermost. Now, there's just two, two applications we have time for tonight of the intercession and kind of how it works. The first is from verse 25. He's able to save those uttermost, to the uttermost, those who draw near. Now, the whole job of the, of the priesthood from the start was to draw near to God. Who gets to draw near? Who's ritually pure on the outside, not the inside necessarily? Who can draw near to God and intercede for the people, offer sacrifices for sin? And then after that, they would go outside and bless the people, sacrifice accepted. Right? They would carry the sacrifice in and sprinkle it. Oftentimes, the intercession has been described in that same kind of fashion. Christ takes his blood that he offered up on the cross. He goes into the heavenly tabernacle before the throne of gate, throne of grace, his father, his father's throne, and he offers it up, sprinkles it, and prays just like the high priest did. So the intercession is the application of the atonement. And when it comes to drawing near, we can draw near to God in a way that the Old Testament saints could not. God did not indwell in his people in the Old Testament. He was amongst them, but he was limited to a small quarter, and he was only limited to one man on one day a year, the high priest, only one day a year. But when it comes to Christ, we have a whole different way. Now, there's, this is strong application and conviction for us because, unfortunately, many times in our walk, we may, not, we may feel that God is far away we may feel that we're not as close to Christ or close to God as we would like. Sometimes we'll even hear that, those phrases here, right? Like, how's your walk been? Well, I really need the Lord now. I don't, I don't feel nearby. I really need the Lord, right? And from the point of the author of the Hebrews is, what he's trying to communicate to these saints is, the door is always open. Christ is always there to hear you on everything to the uttermost. Never think that something is too small for God. And yet, we as saints can, can shrink back from that. And there's an aspect of it that is somewhat uh, ridiculous if we can be honest. I don't know how many of you know, but like I live right next to Danny and Amy Jacobson. I bang my living room wall and Danny's sitting on his couch, he's going to hear it very clearly. I'm right next to him. It would be the equivalent of me getting up and saying, you know, I really wish I could talk to Danny. I really wish I could have some time, Danny. I really wish I could. 
why is your daughter looking at me like I'm crazy? I'm like, well, if you really want to, just go next door. Like, bang on the wall. Right? For his birthday, I went, banged on his door. True story, Amy called 911. She had the phone and everything. It was, it was a little late. But like, I can go to Danny whenever I want. True story, true story, right? Mind you, I sang happy birthday outside his door. That should have been a clue, but whatever, right? Uh, right? I, 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 I wanted us to laugh there, right? Because it, it would be ridiculous. And so it's ridiculous for us to not have a close relationship with the Lord. To not access the throne of grace boldly and with confidence. Christ is always there. He wants us to come to the, to the throne of grace. He wants us to come near. This should give us great encouragement to pray. And if we keep this in our minds as we pray, we keep this doctrine of intercession that the Lord Jesus is ready, willing, and able by the throne. It's going to make our prayer life very personal. That's the whole point of the incarnation. It's going to encourage us to pray more. It's going to make prayer easier and even enjoyable. It's not going to get stale. I love a quote by, by Thomas Watson, um, who summarizes this, I think, very nicely. Prayer as it comes from a saint is often weak and lethargic. But when the arrow of a saint's prayer is put into the bow of Christ's intercession, it pierces the throne of grace. Thomas Watson, the great Thomas Watson, if you read it on him, you'll see that he actually sometimes, believe it or not, had a hard time praying. And that's a common problem states. I think we all have it. I've had that, for sure. And here he's saying, remember that when you pray, you're praying with Jesus. Jesus is praying with you. You are praying through him. He is taking your prayers to the Father. It should give us great joy for what our Lord does for us and has never taken a break from I love a quote from Robert Murray McShane, another great theologian I love. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. I would face a million enemies. Why? I could do that. Why could I do that? Because I know Christ is praying for me. What if we neglect this? What if we don't pay close attention? That's a term that all the Hebrews likes. Have you ever considered what an act of unbelief and disobedience, but especially unbelief it is, when we don't draw near to the Lord, it comes from a heart that is very independent, desires to be self-sufficient, prideful to say the least. If you felt you needed the Lord to live your life in a holy and God-honoring way, you would draw near often and, and abide. A prayerlessness life, or even a a weak prayer life sustained over a period of time can have some real detrimental effects to the walk of a believer. What are some of those effects? We'll highlight that with our next point, our only other reality that we can talk about tonight in our brief time, that not only does the intercession gain us an ability to draw near to God, but there is an important 
command and account for us that really highlights the necessity of this. In James 4, 7, we are told, commanded by God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, how and why is that? Why does the devil just flee if you resist him? Anyone who is tempted long enough and strong enough fails. It's the reason why in the Lord's Prayer, Lord's Prayer, you pray, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from the evil one. Because if you stay there too long, you fail. You'll sin. Desire will come forth and then give birth to sin. So how do you do it? How do you resist the devil? What is it? Does he just tempt you for a while, but because you're just so holy and virtuous and godly, he comes to realize you're temptation-proof, so he just backs off? So it's not Max, man. Too tough. Devil's never said that. I don't know much of what he said. He's never said that, right? Never said that, right? So how is it? Well, our brother Adam in the last evening service, he preached on Luke 22. On Peter's denial, or it was one of his points, Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And what did Jesus say to Peter right before that denial took place? Peter, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. It's important to understand that Peter's denial of Christ was just step one. Satan didn't request to get him, to, to tempt him to deny. Satan requested to sift him like wheat. Basically, take all the good out of him. Presumably, all his faith. To destroy him, to crush him. Right? He's never really satisfied with just one little win. He wanted to take Peter down. Right? And what's Peter's rescue? But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Right? And he follows it up with, when you turn, strengthen your brothers. Not if you turn, because Peter will. Peter will, and after Peter does deny the Lord, but he's broken, he's gifted repentance, he turns around, and he remains a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and becomes an apostle. He didn't fail because Christ interceded for him. Christ did not intercede for Judas Iscariot. And we all know how that went down. So when Jesus prays for you, the enemy backs off. When you draw near to Christ, when you're faced with temptation, whatever it may be, to fall into a habit that you just can't shake, when you feel an emotion that you just can't control, maybe it's anger, you just want to give someone a piece of your mind, maybe you just waste time. Time is precious. It ought to be redeemed, right? You just waste time. Whatever the sin is, whatever the issue is, whatever the temptation is that, that constantly plagues you and causes you grief and sorrow, the way to kill sin is to kill temptation. And the way to do that is to draw near to Christ, to seek his intercession, to understand, Lord, I'm not strong enough to beat this back. The devil will beat me every time if I find him on my own strength. I need you. I need you to intercede for me. I need to be dwelling and abiding with you. And that'll yield food, and that'll protect me. 
So it's Jesus that gives Satan his begone order and gets him to flee and gets him to back off. And in case you're wondering what verse 8 of James 4, the very next verse of what I said, reads, it reads, come near to God and you will come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The doctrine of the intercession has within many important realities. One, our ability to draw near, and two, our ability to fight back against the devil's schemes, temptations, sins, anxieties, depressions, worries, fears, whatever it may be, physical issues, physical danger, whatever it may be. Christ is ready to save to the uttermost. There's nothing too small. You need a parking spot because you're running late for an extremely important meeting to work. You pray. I do. You give everything to the Lord. Now, if it's because you have a habit of not leaving home on time, well, that's something you're going to have to correct, all right? But, but nothing is too small for the Lord. So, what do we make of, of what the author has given us? We, by the way, have just skimmed the surface tonight. Uh, this would, uh, the intercession would need its own sermon series to flesh it out in all the different aspects of it. For one, we participate in intercession. When you pray for someone else, that is in, an intercessory prayer. Right? We are a royal priesthood serving with the high priest. The most important thing you can do in evangelism is not try to make the best, most logical argument for the gospel. Yes, you should be clear in your articulation of the gospel, for sure. But the most important thing you can do for a saved, for an unsaved soul, for a lost soul, is to pray for them. Because at the end of the day, you can't bring anybody to faith. It's the Holy Spirit given by the Lord Jesus Christ that brings someone to faith, that brings someone to life. The doctrine of intercession has with it an apologetic sphere that you can go into. I did already about how Christ is our only high priest forever. There is nothing else additional that comes. Right? You can even argue with mainline Protestants, the ones that have long given up sola scriptura and the authority of scripture. They like to come up with all sorts of stuff. Well, you know, we see the Bible in a new light today. and You know, we see Christ's ministry differently. Now, you see, you have to see Christ's ministry the way God set it up. There's nothing left after that. It's the last step. Now, the message tonight, of course, only applies to believers. The entire book of Hebrews is a, an exhortation to believers, not to unbelievers. There'll be someone here tonight who has not sought the Lord out, who does not believe in the Lord, who has not put their trust in the Lord. Just to borrow a phrase from the author of Hebrews, to hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Not like those in the rebellion. Brutal image, but he points to the entire generation that saw the miraculous works of God in Egypt, that saw him beat that back, God beat back Pharaoh, drew them out of slavery, and they all rebelled and died in the desert. God gives grace to his people. God will not hesitate 
to bring judgment upon those who insist on rejecting him. Now, what parting words can I give you? Because we already went over applications here. I'll say this. Always remember and meditate on a daily basis that the Lord loves to hear from you. He loves to hear about every little thing that afflicts you. His defense is ready and perfect for you. He understands you better than you understand you. He's more committed to your sanctification than you are. And that if you draw near to him, if you draw near to him, will draw near to you. If you do this, if you keep your mind wrapped around the active work that Christ is doing for you all the time, you're going to reach one inescapable conclusion. One inescapable conclusion. No matter, no matter what happens in life, no matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times you come back and realize that again you've sinned, you will come to realize that the Lord has never abandoned you and that no matter what you do, that if you belong to Him, surely for all your days past and for all your days to come, that goodness and mercy from the high priest have followed you the entire time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we ask that you would give us hearts and minds that dwell upon, that are eager, Lord, to come to you and draw near to the throne of grace. Lord, we pray that you would write the important message of the author of the Hebrews on our hearts, that we would remember, Lord, the person, the character, and the power and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, Lord, would remember that you are a perfect Father, always caring for your children, no matter how big or small a matter can be to us. Lord, we pray that as we come across, uh, come against various schemes, trials, and temptations, Lord, whether they be from the flesh, the world, or the enemy, Lord, we pray that you would be the first refuge we run to. That we wouldn't be foolish and try to fight battles on our own, but that we would seek the wisdom that's from above. That we would come to you and rest in you. And put on our armor, Lord, that you give us. And we pray all this in the name of your blessed, holy, innocent, good, loving Son, our Lord Jesus Christ.